everybody. Here on stage L1, one of two stages of the so-called laboratory, our hub for arts, technology, culture and experiments, I guess. I'm Christoph Möller, your stage host until the evening. In times where even reality sometimes feels like science fiction, we thought, why not start this stage with a panel about science fiction, and more specific, about how to curate science fiction art. The discussion will be one hour long, and your host is Boris Moschkowitz, a freelance consultant and digital strategist based in Berlin. Give him a warm welcome. Hi, everyone. It's, um, it's actually pretty exciting to be here again, Republica, every year. Uh, something new. Last year I was talking about cannabis. The year before I was talking about the new work. And this year I'm moderating a panel on art and science fiction, two of my past passions as I've also worked in the museum field. And I'm very glad that we can uh, today welcome three uh, amazing speakers who will share their experiences on the projects they've worked on. And uh, uh, let us welcome together Martina Ludica from the Jewish Museum, Germany. Her background is in uh, in um, in literature, and she was most uh, recently responsible for the exhibition Golem, which uh, you may have seen. Welcome, Martina. And uh, we also welcome Uri Aviv from Tel Aviv, who uh, is the general director and initiator of the Utopia festival, an interdisciplinary festival in, in, in Tel Aviv, going from film to art to uh, installations and other experiences that he will talk about. Welcome, Uri. And one of his uh, collaborators, uh, Eden uh, Cooper-Mintz. Welcome. He has been consulting on uh, the Utopia Festival. He himself is a historian uh, looking into the modern era history. And uh, let's, uh, let's get started with some presentations so you get a better understanding also visually what we're talking about. When talking about art, it's sometimes good to see the actual exhibition. So Martina brought us a presentation, also Uri and Eden. So Martina, you want to start us off? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, great. So I brought this pretty ancient guy to the Republica today, ancient hipster called the Golem. Um, we did an exhibition on, on this guy uh, in winter, of, uh, in past winter. And um, I would like to introduce just a bit, little bit the tone of the exhibition and um, the idea that we're behind it through some objects and also through some installation shots. So we're starting with this um, light guy here. Um, he greeted um, the audience when, when the public came up to, to see the show. And for us, it was just the perfect golem, although the artist never thought about um, the golem when he conceived the work. It's made of um, cable, light bulbs, and lamps. It's about four meters high, and it's inanimate material that the artist brought to life by, by, by his work. So um, the metaphor of bringing inanimate material to life, which is um, so important to the golem, was for us perfectly done with this work. Um, by Christoph Kinterer. It is funny because he's from Prague, actually, but um, he just thought about the idea later when we, when, um, we called this great light guy the golem. Um, Not all, not everybody knows um, the story of the golem, and we wanted to start the exhibition um, with the present. So, 
the question was, um, you might know the golem, but you don't know, um, you don't know it yet. So um, about 30 figures from computer and video games greeted um, the visitor when they came in and they casted big shadows on that um, concrete wall. Um, they, they were out of um, famous video games like Minecraft or Clash of Clans or World of Warcraft. And it was interesting for us because for the, for the catalog, we did an interview with young um, Minecraft players and we were asking them, you know, what does the golem mean um, to you as a Minecraft player? And, and indeed, um, the character in the game um, and the recipe related so well to um, what we wanted to show in the exhibition later. And at the end of the exhibition, um, we also asked visitors to rebuild the Jewish museum um, in Minecraft and um, bring it to life with golems. And they did, but they also did um, many other things, which we checked about every week and looked at what, what um, our visitors developed um, through what we were exhibiting. Um, Um, this is a computer chip um, from an Israeli computer from the 1960s from the Rehovot Institute of Science. And I brought it here because it's called Golem, um, the computer, as you can see above. And it was named by the Kabbalistic scholar Gershom Sholem. Um, and when he was asked to um, give an inauguration speech for this great computer, he um, asked to name it and he named it Golem Aleph. And he was about the first one to make the connection between um, the modern computer world and um, the golem. So that's why we exhibited the chip here. It looks very big on the screen. Um, it's about five centimeters um, big. But um, we also see it as a piece of art, actually, because it looks like an art deco um, element. Um, the next room um, took our visitors back to the roots of the golem legend to Jewish mysticism and here the idea was to combine um, contemporary art with actual medieval manuscripts with recipes for golem making from the medieval times and you see lying in the middle this large sculpture by Joshua Babanel um, I brought another picture here. You can see it better. It is made of the Hebrew letters um, Taf, Mem, and Aleph. The Aleph is hanging around the neck, and um, this refers to a traditional recipe of activating the golem. And actually, the Aleph has to be put on the chest here in the sculpture. I asked the artist about a secret about the sculpture um, to give. When I, when I give talks like that, and he told me he has space for another Aleph on the back, which you don't see, so that visitors don't accidentally um, bring this sculpture to life, and he walks out of the exhibition. Um, um, this brings me to an installation that comes um, right in the middle of the theme that we're discussing here today. Um, it's about science science fiction in film and how the golem is present in so many um, science fiction films and also television series. That was our initial idea of conceiving this artwork. We did it together with 
video artists Detlef Weitz and Stefan Hurtig, and we told them about our idea of making a new golem narrative from all the elements, the creation, um, the bringing to life, the transformation, and also the out of control, which is so important about um, the golem. And maybe we can take a look at the video a little bit um, to see what we did here. It's much better than me describing it. So it is made about out about um, 70 films and um, television series, and each time you watch it, you will recognize another one. And it brings together a story of um, creation by men getting out of control. So um, we can see the out of control part because I think it's very. It's about nine minutes long, and although it's really great to watch, I don't want to use up all the time. Um, now it's gone. That's the music. It's made um, with the Goldberg variations and some atmospheric sound, actually. Okay, so then let's just watch like two minutes of it um, to see what, it's, what was done because it was an interesting collaboration between the curators and the artists. We had an idea in mind of what we wanted to say. We wanted to um, tell a new golem stories um, to all the ones being told over the hundreds of years and um, the artists came up with an um, with a visual image for it and this orange room with um, three different screens putting together um, the video material. Actually, there have been many, many Golem films and the Golem from Paul Wegener from the 1920s has influenced so many horror films and science fiction movies afterwards and you can see in how the influence has been done by combining the scenes out of different um, golem and science fiction and horror films. And I can continue a little bit with um, explaining um, the way it was done because it leads actually to the last chapter of the exhibition and I wanted to, to talk about that. That brings us right back into the present um, where we used contemporary photography as, as a major means. Um, for example, a photographic series by Yves Gely, who went into um, laboratory laboratories and photographed the creation and the creator, both of them together, on portraits. And they're very intriguing. I brought one um, photograph that I would like to show at the end. So did you get an impression of um, what this installation was like? Okay, so then um, I want to show the... I saw it. 
Yes, you saw it. So we're lucky. Okay, so the exhibition ended actually um, with photographic images by Yves Gelly, who did portraits in computer and um, in ro robot labs all over the world. And the irritating portrait of the creator and its creation, it's hard to tell um, who is who. Only coming, coming close to the image, maybe by the hands, you can tell um, which one is alive and which one is not. Um, this brought us to the conclusion for, for the show that we wanted to ask our visitors, how are we responsible for what we create and um, what do, we, do we think about the consequences of our creations when we create? So thank you for your attention. Perfect. Th thank you for that insight and giving us some images and, and better to relate to, I mean, coming from a museum background, uh, obviously uh, it wasn't clear what to expect and uh, historization sometimes happens in the museum, but this uh, felt very much like a free uh, inspired um, exhibition and um, talking about a free inspired exhibition we should uh, also get some images and uh, ideas from the Utopian Festival which in itself is sort of an interdisciplinary unconference utopian uh, <laughs> medley of, of events and uh, workshops so Uri or Eden uh, maybe you want to give us an introduction to that as well we'll do it together um, hello everybody uh, thank you all for coming um, I'm going to look at my notes everyone, every now, now and again. Um, so this is our title, the, uh, the um, Utopia, Science, Imagination, and the Future. Um, Utopia is an amalgam. It's, uh, it's a blend. It's part an international film festival dedicated to uh, science fiction in particular and the fantastic genres in general, and part a program of events titled Science, Imagination, and Future Visions. I'll talk a little bit about about the two, and I'll let um, Eden uh, go on with uh, some of our intent with the Utopia Association, which runs the festival and uh, the festival events during the festival season and throughout the year. Um, so, a little bit about the film festival portion of it, and um, what I like actually about this continued conversation between us is that we bring different perspectives on programming, on curation, and different perspectives maybe on science fiction, which would be, which would be interesting. Um, so, a little bit about the film festival section. So, mm -mm. oh, this is just a few images of the many, many events and types of events we hold at, um, at uh, Utopia. As I said, it's part of film festival, so you see a bunch of people seeing films. And other than that, that the, the other program of events, Science, Imagination, and Future Visions, it's, it groups together academic and professional conferences, meetups, lectures, talks, and panels, art exhibits, um, not as complex and uh, intricate and, uh, as, as the ones in museums, such as the Jewish Museum uh, uh, Golem Exhibition, uh, but still, and um, theater and, and music events and so forth. Um, all of them stem from science fiction and intersect science fiction uh, with science and technology on the one hand, uh, with society, ethics, philosophy on the other hand, and our projections and intentions uh, toward the future. So, um, when programming for such a wide-scoped and complex and honestly ambitious event, 
there were quite a few dilemmas uh, for or about curation and programming that I, I think we, we can share with you, Ibn and I. Um, I'll start with our selection of films. So these are some of the films, both classic and new, that we've presented the past three years. Um, I, hope you, I hope some of you have seen some of them. I imagine you have. And if not, then you have the one, the, 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 the one poster in Hebrew is Interstellar. If, you, if anyone had not seen Interstellar yet, please enjoy it. The other ones are all recommended. I hope most of you have seen or all of you had seen the right hand upper corner, uh, which is Congress uh, by Ari Folman. Um, anyways, uh, when programming films and when programming in general, um, uh, we all wish that programming uh, and curatorial decisions um, were always and only about content. Um, and if I think about that, then if you think content is all about content, then you may not have fully understood what content means because content means different things to different people and content involves a lot of stuff that is outside of the, of, of the, of the stuff of content itself. And what do I mean by that? For instance, were we to want to present a completely focused on science fiction film festival, hardcore science fiction, um, technology, science, aliens, robots, and space exploration, then we would have one of the two. We would have either a very short film festival annually or not a very good one because um, not all science fiction and not many science fiction is being done. Not all science fiction uh, treats um, the film medium uh, as it should treat the content it tries to present in the film. Or, to put it simpler, there are a lot of bad science fiction films out there and very few good ones of the few that are made. So then the question arises, okay, we're a film festival, and we're a film festival that um, um, wants to focus on science fiction, but wants to bring over um, other films um, from, the, from what's called the fantastic genres. So... Where are the borders? Where are the frontiers? Where do we want to go? What do we want to connect? And with what do we want to connect science fiction? Our science fiction foc focuses, foci? Foci. Foci, thank you. Uh, with, and I've brought some, obviously the top row is our science, uh, is, is a selection of some of the science fiction we've presented over the past years. And the bottom row uh, is some of the outside of science fiction, fantastic genres, uh, films that we've presented. Some are thrillers, some are horror, some are um, undefinable would be the right word. Surrealism, magical realism. I hope some of you had seen some of them. All of, it, all of them are very highly recommended. They have different attributes, different, um, and different require different sensibilities. Um, but that's one dilemma to share with you, and there's no, this is not, not something that is answerable in, 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 or has a solution. This is a annual and sometimes daily um, uh, struggle to think, okay, is this 
coming into is are we putting this on what would that mean for the rest of the program for the um, for the for the uh, message we are trying to to um, to bring to the public which I guess leads me to um, to Eden's take on this um, I've put that in just to showcase that what we're actually talking about is what exactly is science fiction and what's the borders of science fiction um, but to go on I'll give the mic to Eden to talk a little about our intent with the program of events called, titled Utopia. Thank you, Uri. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so I started my journey with Utopia Film Festival as, as a fan, as a, as a goer to the festival. I've been reading and consuming science fiction for over a decade, almost 15 years. And I was always intrigued by the ability of science fiction to challenge current norms, current power structures, and current ideas. And when I started working with Uri, I was suddenly um, exposed to the power of curation. And that's why I see curation as activism. When you decide what to show and what not to show, you decide which power structures you want to take on, you decide which power structures you want to collaborate with, you decide which messages you want to bring forth to the public and which you want to hide away. Even if you do that passively, even if you're not actively suppressing a film by not giving it the same time slot that you do other things, you suppress it in, in fact. Um, and, and the other part of that is that we're not just curating anything, we're curating science fiction. And science fiction is a very interesting tool. It can be, like all tools, it can be amazing and it can be terrible. And what do I mean by that? Science fiction can be very conservative, very traditionalist, and serve ideas such as misogyny, racism, economic the traditionalism, and conservatism. And you can see it all over the history of science fiction. It's not just relegated to the 50s and the 60s when we weren't really sure what we were doing, and it was just um, white Americans writing science fiction. It's even today. It goes on. Um, but science fiction can be incredible. It can be feminist, it can be queer, it can be challenging, it can be shocking. It can ask questions like, what is gender? What is the body? What is economy? Why is the world the way it is? And when you bring those two forces together, you have the potential of the science fiction curator. Because it is up to the curator which science fiction they want to show. They can stick to the safe films, right? That have a big Hollywood star who looks great on screen, but don't say anything else. For example, the two versions of Total Recall. So there's the original one with Arnold Schwarzenegger and the new one. And the new one, they took the entire political message and they completely removed it. There's no rebellion. There's no the people versus the corporation. They just took all that content out. And that's, a, that's curation, right? They curated the message of that film. So what we decided to do is something called Designing Tomorrow. Yeah. So... The idea behind Designing Tomorrow is to bring people who have interest in science fiction. Which is a joint Utopia Republica project supported by the Deutsches Israelisches Zukunft Forum. 
I wish we'd live in a world where we don't have to do those intros every time, but <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is joint with, um, with Republica and we're at Republica, so that's good. And it's, it's a kind of a think tank. We brought together artists, designers, architects, uh, um, academics, policymakers, economists, more and more writers, um, filmmakers, to ask the question, how do we design tomorrow? How do we use science fiction ideas to think differently about every aspect of our life? The city, the state, um, ethnographic groups, uh, economy, and more and more. And basically put them in the room and told them, think. And speculate. speculate, right? Project into the future. And try to curate as little as possible in the beginning and in the end, curate as groups and think about which ideas you want to put in, which you want to take out, which seem more feasible. And the end results are four, right? Was it three? Four, four visions. Five, five. five, yeah. Five visions for the future um, that bring together interdisciplinary thought and ideas. And that's it. Well, great. Thank you, uh, Ori and Eden, for that introduction into what you have uh, created and what you're also planning with uh, Designing Tomorrow. Obviously, very uh, ambitious project. And um, let's stick with that. Science fiction, is that for for you um, something, Ori, um, more of a utopian dream or a dystopian nightmare? Where are we moving with with what you put together when you curate things? Do you curate certain things out or certain things in? <laughs> How positivistic are you? Okay, so obviously dystopian nightmare, but um, so uh, there are two, two caveats to that. Uh, one, um, uh, when, you do a, when you hold a, an annual program or when you hold a program that uh, emanates from its time, then you have, two, you, you have some limitations. One... Uh, when, for instance, when you create the program of films, you're limited by uh, what's been done in the film world over the past year, two or three, depending on how recent you want the selection to be. Obviously, um, you always can have a retrospective or you can uh, go back and look at some of the stuff that's been done at certain points, and, and that's also a curatorial decision. But overall, you're, uh, you have one limitation, which is that. And the other is also um, the continued dilemma of, um, okay, we're, in, we're, 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 we're activists, curators, and programmers. What is our message? And, uh, and that's, a, that's, a, that's an, in, an innate and, and personal struggle as well as a public one because on the one hand... I might be, I might have a dystopic um, political vision of the future or how, how technology and policy kind of interact and create a more and more dystopian um, future that we live in. But do we not want to utilize science fiction to address that and, ch and try and challenge change, um, um, resist, resist would be the word, resist that. And that is also, if, 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 all, you, if all you showcase is dystopic nightmare, then where's, where's your hope for the future, which science fiction should, should have? And I'm not sure what your 
view on Interstellar, for instance, is, but I thought that I would I had assumed so, <laughs> but he said terrible. Um, but uh, one of the things I like about Interstellar, and that's a personal view, obviously, that is that um, it's hopeful, I thought. It has, it's a post-internet, post-dystopia, post-everything we've experienced and with, with, with the cynicism we may have about technology, about progress, about, about the exploration of space, which was a hallmark of science fiction, and now it's, you know, it's gone. Um, unless Elon Musk has anything to do with it. So it's been, you know, co-opted. So um, it still embodies a somewhat um, positive, humanistic future. So that's, that's the tension of, of wanting to be um, true to what is going on, but wanting to change what's going on, wanting to resist what's going on. So... I hope I've somewhat answered that question. I see. No, absolutely. And, and um, <laughs> let me um, ask Martina about her role as a curator in the Jewish Museum with this uh, ambivalent figure of the golem. Um, you probably looked at similar challenges. Uh, are you uh, looking at a more optimistic or uh, pessimistic uh, angle? And how did you portray the golem in overall storytelling? I think that um, curation is also about asking questions to the audience and making the content relevant to the audience. And for example, um, in our show, we didn't only show films or artworks, but also ask ourselves in the process, for example, has anyone compared Donald Trump to the golem yet? And so we started researching, <laughs> but we weren't the first ones. So we found on Twitter that it, there were many comparisons and we found this Canadian journalist and he had compared the golem um, to Donald Trump and vice versa with a very good article. So we decided to exhibit Donald Trump's um, campaign camp, Make America Great Again, because the journalist used the image that once you would take off the um, cap, you would deactivate... <laughs> the candidate, just like you can deactivate the golem. So this was one part in that showcase. The other part was an old used iPhone because many people have compared our smartphones to the golem and our dependencies and our use of and the control they take over us. Um, but this is we are not in control of how the audience receive this um, curation process. And What I like about exhibition making um, is to ask the question, give a thesis, give a, an argument, and then let people discuss it. And we saw that in, in the exhibition space. It's so interesting to go there secretly and hide and listen to people's conversations because it actually engaged people in, in, in quite controversy, uh, controversies um, to see these objects and to think about what um, these science fiction objects mean to their own uh, world and to their own debates that they're having. So, uh, 
one word that's been that's thrown around a lot. Um, this is a continued to my previous, in continuation of my previous um, answer. So one three one word, and that's this is from the from our conversation just now. So uh, one word that's thrown a lot when when conversing about science fiction is predictions, and there there couldn't be a word that's further from science fiction than prediction. And I, I, or good science fiction, I'll say, but science fiction as a whole. First off, because science fiction is not futurism, it's not futures research, it's not strategic research, it's, uh, it's a narrative or it's an art form, it's a storytelling art form, um, and quite an innovative one, quite a good one if it's done well, and I'm, sh I'm sure there are people who are agreeing with me here because you're here. And, but um, so technologists and use and many of them might be utopian technologists use the word prediction and they step aside from society look at technology supposedly and say okay this is the trend this is how this is how the graph looks like i would say we should be here by the year 2025 you know on mars or with uh, you know um, uh, autonomous cars or whatnot and that's sort of a lie, to put it, uh, to, to say it frankly, and uh, because they're not out of the equation. And them themselves saying this is our prediction um, um, enforces a certain viewpoint on the world, and it's their viewpoint, and it's what they want all of us to kind of think about as, as truth. And it's, it's a deterministic viewpoint on the world. What science fiction does is not prediction. It's speculation, which is a whole different ballgame. And it offers something that prediction does not, or when it does it well, at least. Sorry. Got, got it. Well, that's great. But let, let maybe Eden uh, can, can follow up on that and um, also tell us a little bit. Now, what we heard is when you say speculation, not prediction, that means the unexpected. That also means um, are mutations are the future, mm -hmm. not only in bio biology, but also in, let's say, the social and uh, curatorial form. Mm -hmm. So what can we not expect but speculate on will come? So I'll, I'll start by just addressing the polarity in your previous question, and that's the polarity between dystopia and utopia. And what I try to do with the science fiction that I read and sometimes create is break that spectrum. Um, because the world doesn't work on spectrums. The world is a messy, messy, messy place. Everything is ambiguous. Even the, the worst evils in the world have context and they have something that preceded them. So good science fiction today and in the past is science fiction that is ambiguous. And so when it speculates, and here's where I come into your, into your second question, when it speculates, it doesn't talk about what will be, but it talks about the field of possibilities and how the field of possibilities will change. So when you ask about what is going to mutate, and I like that word, by the way, um, it's better than evolve, because evolve is also like deterministic, and mutate is weird, right? Um, and unexpected. And unexpected. And weird is a very important word, I think. So what will mutate is what is possible. Uh, the first thing I feel will mutate is what is possible to do with our bodies. It's already old and tired that our bodies are, are 
becoming more and more modifiable. And I'm not even talking about cyborgs and all of that because that's really ancient history. I'm talking about work that's been done, done now with new ways to use organs, new ways to use senses, people who are implementing sensory devices into their brains and um, artists who use seismic activity on the stage to communicate music, artists who create synesthesia on purpose, right? So their sense of smell and their sense of sight become conflated. So what we can do with our bodies and how we communicate with each other with our bodies will change. And that, of course, brings gender in and birth. You know, that the current estimates are that the first artificial birth will happen within the next 10 years. So what does that mean? Um, what does that mean for female bodies? What does that mean for male bodies? What does that mean for, for children? And so forth. The second field um, of mutation in, in possibility will be space and, and what we do with geography. Today, we still um, identify ourselves as Israeli, German, um, Eastern European, American, we can go even farther, Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, as transportation technology advances, and we are going to see, I think, maybe, I speculate, um, we are going to see a breakthrough in these fields as it becomes faster and easier to cross borders, these ideas of fixed identities will change. We will still have identities. This is a very important point for me. Don't believe anybody who says you won't have an identity. Don't believe anybody who says that the nation state is dying. It's simply going to change. And I think that, you know, we're in Germany um, and there's a wave of pro-union, pro-EU um, sentiment washing through the area. And I do think that the model of the EU of floating citizenship, citizenship that sits on top of nationality, is something that is very interesting. And the last thing, I think, the last field of, of possibility where we're going to see um, a mutation is in the transactions between us and how we comport ourselves with each other, how we sell our labor, how we sell our art, how we consume art, how we consume other people's labels. And there are some very worrying trends in there. Um, just last year, a huge, huge YouTube, YouTuber, the biggest YouTuber, PewDiePie, um, used Fiverr, which is an Israeli startup, to pay $5. All those services cost $5. And he paid two men in India to hold up um, a flag or, or a poster that says, kill all Jews. And that was his joke. That, he did a skit about how people are too sensitive. But the skit wasn't the point. It got him into a lot, all sorts of trouble, and Disney pulled his contract, and YouTube didn't want anything to do with him. But the fact that he used $5 for the computer, he lives in Sweden, to hire the labor of two men living in India to hold up an anti-Semitic statement that was a joke, that's the real issue here. How do we communicate with the people who work for us and what we can get them to do? Thank you. That, that is pretty scary, the last image you gave us. Um, now, <laughs> and that's not even the scariest one. We didn't talk about Amazon yet, which is the big... No, <laughs> no I, I think that, that it's, uh, is a separate discussion. Also, yeah. if you want to uh, hear Eden, he's going to be talking on Wednesday, 12 o'clock, I think. Uh, check out your 12, program. 15, yeah. um, but com coming back to the exhibition and being part of something, and that, that's a thought that you mm -hmm. just mentioned yeah. in, in the sense of belonging and... In, an, in a, let's say, art form as exhibition festival, um, how do you deal with the, the, the concept of immersion? I saw Uri in, in some of your pictures, this is virtual reality. In Martina, uh, this is installations. Maybe the two of you first, Martina, uh, can a little bit explain about the, the concept of exhibition versus immersion. 
it depends on how you understand immersion here. Um, Free for interpretation. <laughs> I think um, being separated um, from the content you produce always um, isn't a good idea. So what we try to do is um, force our visitors to an immersion that is an active immersion um, in the topic. So I'm very interested in projects where um, our audience participates in um, what we create and also where we lose control over what um, we are trying to curate. This is also a question of the curatorial voice that um, comes in. In the Golem exhibition we tried something um, that we used text. The golem is so much about a narrative and, and he lives in texts um, just as much as he lives in artworks. And we try to make um, text as an artifact and immerse people in these texts so um, you would stumble over quite irritating quotes um, while walk, walking around the exhibit. And um, I think these, these things, the, this immersion process, um, resonates with you after you leave um, the place and go somewhere else and it, it lives on um, outside of the museum space and I think, um, or for me that makes an exhibition or a festival or something um, that you curate interesting and also risky because you don't um, know what kind of life it, uh, it, it takes on afterwards. I have to, I have to um, um, compliment you on the exhibit and, and say a, a, a little more about what you just said because the, the interesting, one, of the, one of the many interesting things about the Gollum is that um, you said it lives in text, the Gollum itself. The Gollum myth is about creation and that creation can be used and is used as a symbol for the creation of art as well, and, and of text, is metaphor for the creation of, of, um, of, of text. So the, the golem lives in text in both levels, and you've, which you've presented. And the third level is, of course, the fact that you both um, bring to life, at one, through, through one of them is, you bring to life and you kill the golem through the, the careful laying out of letters who make up words that are either truth or death. And you've, you've portrayed that beautifully all throughout the exhibit, and one of the many things I enjoyed there. So thank you. <laughs> right, now giving the immersion question to you, Uri, also. Oh, wow. uh, we're talking about the, let's say, the opportunities of virtual reality, uh, of film, short form, long form. Um, I mean, basically, a, a movie theater can be an immersive space as well. Okay, so uh, it's a... Um, I'm a VR skeptic. I'll start with that. If we're talking about um, if we're talking about that aspect of it, and uh, you're right, um, film uh, films are. I agree. Uh, films are an immersive experience when when um, when done right. I mean, when when you decide to view them that way, you don't have to. And um, and uh, film. Festivals and film events and film um, uh, and cinemas have have a more and more hard time 
and, and struggle to bring in people because we have these and we have great, great ways to see films not as an immersive experience. Um, I'm, I do have to say, and from what I've noticed uh, both in Israel and abroad, especially in the, in the what's called genre, fantastic genres scene, uh, is that there's a, there's a celebration and a resurgence of film festivals because um, film festivals both cater to the more um, um, interested audience, the more... Um, the, you don't go to a film festival as you would go to the Cineplex on a Saturday afternoon. You'd go there with intent to go to the film festival. So that's one statement which would mean that you're in a specific subgroup of people that enjoy the film festival um, experience, which includes an immersive experience in cinema. And um, um, you see as, as films become more, as media becomes more ubiquitous, and you can consume films in a number of ways, anywhere you want to, then... Um, uh, there's more and more um, as, as an opposition to that event-based uh, watching of films. Uh, the watching of a film as, as, as something you, what you might prepare to as an experience that involves more than the watching of the film itself. Um, the, it's a spectrum and it can start with a talk or a panel before or after the film and it can go through uh, something that maybe some of you have uh, know about, secret cinema. Has anybody heard about secret cinema? Okay. <laughs> so that's the sort of immersive experience of cinema and check it out on the web. Um, uh, they have all sorts of events. It started off in London and now they're going, they're, they've went global. Um, more or less, um, they take a certain film which is either a new film, they've just done a wonderful thing, well, not, I don't know, I've not seen it, I've not, I've not been to it, uh, with The Handmaiden, which is a wonderful uh, 2016 uh, Korean title, but they take on uh, this, these um, incredibly uh, uh, known and some, sometimes classical films and bring them to life in, 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 in immersive theater that culminates with the presentation of the film. So I would prefer that because as, as a social experience, and that's the other angle film festivals or film events have. It's a social event um, around the film uh, um, and not VR. Although there's a, there's a, a sidetrack, a, a little element of VR that is really interesting which I've been exposed to over the past year, which is embodiment. And that's uh, VR not as an experience, uh, the, not as a film-like experience. Obviously, games will, be, will do great in VR, but um, um, as an art form being presented. Mm -hmm. but, um, anybody know what embodiment means in, in VR terms? Raise of hands? Show of hands, sorry. Okay, so you put on a VR uh, go uh, spectacles, goggles, whatever, Helmet, and uh, you still see the world from your own viewpoint, but if you go to a mirror within the VR experience, you would see something else. You would see 
if you're white, you would see a black person. If you're male, you would see a female person. If you're a um, 35-year-old, you would see a 7-year-old or a 70-year-old. And you would look at your hands and see something different. That is something that's truly interesting. And, and uh, when going back to what we've talked before is a curated experience that has some radicalism and some, mm. some intent to it. Right. That's an exciting thought. And before I, um, we uh, open up the discussion to the audience, I just have one more following up that to Eden. Um, now, talk about virtual realities. Uh, what about social virtual realities? I mean, after you just mentioned what's possible with social media and a little bit of Bitcoin, uh, how do you see a virtual social reality, something that we saw initially 10 years ago and in, in Second Life it died away? Is there a resurgence of that coming up? That's a very good question um, that I've been thinking about ever since Facebook premiered the product at F8. Um, that is basically Second Life with not as good graphics, um, but they were very excited about it and supposedly the actors loved it, and etc. And, and Facebook is an interesting thing to start with because they have kind of both a Midas and a Death Touch. So they either touch something and it becomes gold or they touch something and they kill it completely because everybody gets so hyped and then it goes nowhere. For example, bots. Last year at Republica, everything was about bots. Everybody was talking about bots. And now it's gone um, because Facebook hyped it up. And everybody and the company I work for, LivePerson, also does bots. Um, and everybody was so hyped about it, but it's, it's, it's dead. So is that the future of social virtual reality? Um, I don't know. But I do know that, like everything else I presented, we should look at social virtual reality as a tabula rasa is an empty slate that will take whatever we imprint on it, if we're going back to the golem, right? We imprint on these things our own ideas and ways of thinking. So it can be something that is used for good, like Second Life, which gave people who are introverts, who had um, a rough time communicating physically with others, who had a rough time expanding their social circles, they, it gave them an out. It gave them a, a way to interact with the world that they never even imagined. Or it can also be used for, for bad things, like Second Life, and we talked about that ambiguity, right? Um, where it was used for, for trolling, for doxing, for harassing people online. So we as curators and as people who think about these things, it, it's, it's now or never, and it's always now or never. It was now or never a year ago, it was now or never 60 years ago, and it will be now or never 100 years ago. There always has to be that immediacy that we are always on the cusp of something terrible and something great. And it's up to us to, to recruit ourselves and, and the people around us and try and make these things better than what they will probably end up being. That was pessimistic. That was more pessimistic than I intended it. But. Great. Thank you. Anybody from the audience has questions for our uh, speakers, panelists? Um, there's a microphone coming up in a second. I think there's a question here in the front row. Uh, hello and thank you. Uh, you said a lot about dystopia and utopia, and I wanted to ask uh, about just continuing to, to break those, uh, those barriers, to break those uh, just one or another. Uh, do you know any science fiction? Do you know any worldview? So that's also a more artistic question. Uh, that is about something very close to us in time. For example, something like Cory Doctorow, as, as a writer, creates, mm -hmm. that portrays not how to create a world post-dystopia, how to 
um, create a world post-capitalism, but how to just avoid it, what are the patterns that we can enforce right now, uh, and just using science fiction as an, as an illustration how we can do better right now. So that's a really good question, and yes, I would like to recommend a book which I hated um, until the last 50 pages, and it's uh, Too Like the Lightning by Ada Palmer. It's a very clever t utopia that hides a dystopia inside of it. Um, and while it's, it doesn't answer your chronological specification because it's set in the 25th century, it is very modern. It's not like everything is different, we, are, we can't even recognize humanity. And what she asks during her story is, what is the future of the structures that we are facing today? So how will citizenship look like? How will transportation look like? How will allegiance and loyalty look like? And how will gender look like? And she gives very ambiguous and very weird answers to these questions. Um, she goes back to Enlightenment philosophy from the 18th century, and she, she asks how we can revisit old ideas to change our current systems. And as you said in the beginning, um, I study history, so, and, and my lecture is going to be, my talk on Wednesday is going to be about that, how we can use history to imagine the future. Um, so that's a great book to answer that question, how we can use old ideas to modify current trends. I'd like to um, not, not give another example, because Eden is far more... Um, um, has read far more uh, uh, science fiction novels than I have, but um, um, to say that um, one doesn't need to look for um, specific answers to specific polit political situations in science fiction, I would say, and one doesn't need science fiction to be set in five years' time in its narrative to talk about what, might, might, what may happen in five years' time. It can be set in the 25th century or, nine, or 19th century, but still reference um, and, and that otherness is sometimes necessary in order for the ideas to permeate and, and, and establish themselves. I was looking for a Bruce Sterling quote about, about the ideas of science fiction as background radiation. Um, I think it's Bruce Sterling, and I'll find it and I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. But um, that's something uh, I would think about. Don't, don't look for this specific vision of how Britain, the EU, China would, might look like in five years' time, because that might not be the best science fiction to portray how they would look like in five years' time. Got it. Any more questions? I think they're in the third row. Is that good? Uh, so I super appreciate the, the desire to like break the barriers between uh, utopia and dystopia. I wonder if you would feel the same way about breaking down the barriers between design fiction versus science fiction versus magical realism, etc. Um, and if you could maybe comment on that briefly. Uh, well, you, you've mentioned a few top uh, a few um, um, uh, topics. So, um, one, magical realism in science fiction. Um, science fiction in itself is, is, you know, it's a term coined in the 1920s and to, to, 
to uh, uh, for for um, uh, uh, short stories printed in engineering magazines, where engineers, Americans, I think, and maybe in the UK, um, published work on speculation on how this and that gadget might might look like and how it would change society and that spawned into some of the science fiction we know and you know there are other um, interesting um, traditions that um, come over into the same into the same narrative or the same social space that we're now or in the past let's say 20 or 30 years becoming is becoming apparent that they have similar attributes so as you said magical realism which kind of spawned off of something different um, it re uh, the only thing I would say is that it um, uh, w while it's less and less in, uh, important in science fiction um, specifically um, and we sometimes use speculative fiction as uh, as the as the correct term to, to encapsulate more of that. So um, uh, what for me would single out science fiction from, from other, th other things is that it would necessarily um, try and interact with technology, with innovation, with, with, with what enables this panel to be at Republica, for instance. And I think that's really important because technology is a driving force of change and we need to think critically about it and one of, if not the best way to think critically about it is through storytelling. I'm not going to say how exactly to, um, to, um, uh, to call that, that type of storytelling. Um, and in, in, the, in, in, in our selection of films, for instance, we try in, in, at Utopia. We tr we've tried to uh, include uh, magical realism that uh, that that kind of um, turns into that trend and, and talks about social, philosophical, moral dilemmas. And it might not be uh, uh, based on technology, but it w they would still be there. As for, um, go ahead. Very short edition because we don't have a lot of time. Um, yes. <laughs> Break it all down. Break it down. Um, literature, thanks. Literature and art, I firmly believe, should be chaos. Don't worry about definitions. And some of the stuff, the way to do it, and that's the last thing I'm going to say, the way to do it is to see those titles as modifiers instead of genres. So it's not a science fiction genre, it's a science fiction modifier. And once I see it as a modifier, I can write science fiction history, science fiction romance, science fiction thriller. And I can add more modifiers. I can say science fiction, magic realism, romance. And Romantic this is... zombie comedy. Exactly. And people see that... that like smaller and smaller specifications as a bad thing, but I love niches. More niches, more fragments, more chaos in, in art, especially in science fiction, is a really, really, really good thing. Great. Actually, I think the time is up. You have a quote to finish up that panel. Wonderful. So, so this is Bruce Sterling in the introduction to William Gibson's Burning Chrome. If poets are the unacknowledged legislatures of the world, science fiction writers are its court jesters. We are wise fools who can leap, caper, utter prophecies, and scratch ourselves in public. 
We can play with big ideas because the garish motley of our pulp origins make us seem harmless. Very few feel obliged to take us seriously, yet our ideas permeate the culture, bubbling along invisibly like background radiation. All right. Thank you again for a wonderful panel. And if you have questions, they'll be around uh, to see. And Eden, 12.15 on Wednesday. Thank you for showing up.